The team at Weight Inclusive Innovators is going to Mexico City and you're invited. There's something magical about getting out of the day-to-day routine. It's even better when you pack your bags, hop on a flight, and land in a new city. From August 20th to 25th, join us as we settle into our apartments in the neighborhood of La Condesa, visit all the local coffee shops that Mexico City has to offer, and dedicate time to work on our businesses. This means a whole work week to brainstorm your business's future, set goals for the next year, and get caught up on all those admin tasks that keep getting pushed to the wayside. And you didn't think we'd be all work and no play, did you? Well, our primary goal is to dedicate time to work on the biz and give ourselves space to dream and scheme. We can't go to Mexico City and not experience the vibrant culture that it has to offer. That's why we've planned a night of salsa lessons at Mamba Roomba and a cooking class from local culinary experts. Early bird registration is now open for our Mexico City trip. Spots are limited and you do not want to miss out on this amazing opportunity. Come hang out with us, work on your Spanish, and work on your business in person in Morgan's favorite city. Head on over to weightinclusiveinnovators.com slash Mexico City 2023 to sign up or click the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians to building a cohesive brand to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it, talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight-inclusive business, the good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we're on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. What's up, Weight Inclusive Innovator fam? We are back and today we're chatting about investing. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And I are both very curious about investing. We both do a little bit of investing ourselves. And today we just wanted to bring a candid conversation to the pod about investing as two people who are women, entrepreneurs, and also sinks, single income, no kids. But before we dive into today's episode, let's check in with Hannah. Hello, Hannah. What were your business highs and lows? Business highs and lows. Okay. Well, I really can't complain because everything feels high right now. I'm about to take the next two weeks off. Because Um, this morning I graduated. Woo. And Hannah chose to uh, stay here and record the pod with us and not walk the stage. To be honest, There's many other things I would rather do and spend my time doing (laughs) than going to graduation again. I just like, I respect it. And I think it's a great ceremony, I suppose, but I did that for undergrad and it feels a little bit, I'm a little disconnected from that tradition just because my program was completely online. I didn't really go to the campus and maybe it would feel differently if I did, but here we are. Um, Well, congratulations. You have your master's. Thank you. (laughs) I have my master's. I will not be going back to school for a long ass time or maybe ever. Who knows? I don't know. I love to learn. I love being a student. So (laughs) um, I am glad it's been done. My life has immensely improved since finishing grad school and not having to do that work outside of of work. And I feel like a brand new reborn human. So yay, I'm graduated. So because I've been pushing so hard the last few years and 
because I graduated, I decided to take the next two weeks off softly. So next week, I'll still be working on some behind the scenes stuff as I want to, as it feels good, as I'm inspired to, but I'll be taking a ton of space for myself. And then the following week, I'm going to take completely off. So, and this isn't a business high per se, but part of being off is my partner and I are going to go pick up our van. (laughs) Yay. Our van. Where are you picking it up from? So we're picking it up from rifle Colorado Okay, and it's about a three and a half hour drive. So we're going to make a whole weekend out of it, a long weekend. So we got to drive down there, pick up the van, learn how to use it. And then it's ours for trips. And so we're super excited. Oh, that's so exciting. Yes. So that's my highs. I would say my low is I feel like I keep getting flooded with things that I've I've put off for a long time that I really need to keep getting done and almost like intrusive thoughts about them. So Mm. one example is I've wanted to redo the Nourish Colorado website copy for a long time, and I just haven't had the capacity to do it. That's one thing I might like to work on next week. Um, That's the kind of projects I like to do when I have no expectations on myself of like, I have a clear, clean slate and I could do a project. So, but it's, it almost scares me when I get those thoughts because I'm like, oh fuck, I almost forgot I wanted to do this. Even though I have it in Asana somewhere. Mm. Um, I just, it's reminding me, I really want to work on my organization again and start consistently using Asana and sticking to my routines instead of when I get chaotic, grabbing a piece of paper and being like, okay, everything this week is going on a piece of paper. Like it doesn't take that much longer to pull out my laptop and to pull up Asana and add in the task in a appropriate category. Yeah. It, I can relate to that same, I guess, intrusive thoughts is kind of like a, a good way to phrase that whenever I have a trip coming up or whenever I know that I'm going to have like a gap in between client projects or anything like that, I get those same thoughts. And I think it's just like the universe's way of being like, Hey, we know that you are going to have some like free brain space to think about the biz in a way that you haven't. And just like, yeah, that reminder that there's like all these things that you want to do. And it's hard to not get overwhelmed by those. Okay. That feels very validating to me. And that almost feels a little bit like a positive reframe of like your brain's anticipating some space coming and that's a good thing. So, Mm -hmm. um, it can just be a little bit jarring of like, Oh fuck. How, like, what else am I dropping the ball on in my mind? Even though it's one of those projects that our website technically works and we get a ton of inquiries and it's okay, but it can be better. And I want it to be better. And the last time I did copy on the Nourish Colorado website was like three and a half years ago, probably. Besides our FBT section, that's new, but I think it can be better. And I think well, our think SEO much, can be better. Think of how much you've learned over the last right. three years. And like that growth and learning can now be reflected on your website with website copy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, enough about me, Morgan. Tell us your business highs and lows. My high this week was, uh, this is going to sound silly, was putting up an out-of-office email, even though I was working this week. Oh, I love that. So sure. I um, I got this inspiration from my copywriter, Kendall, because she dedicates like a week or two to like doing all of her clients' website copy, meaning that she's out of her inbox. Mm. And that felt 
I was like, wow, like that's so genius. So I, I, I will say this. my low is that I've been quite behind on some design projects. And so this week was dedicated to catching up on some client projects. And so I put up an out of office email that said, I got your email, but I'm currently in focus mode. And basically like my inbox is closed right now. I'm using all my brain space to support my clients and also having my inbox open is distracting AF. I'm sure you can relate. Um, and basically said like, if you're a current client and something's urgent, text me. There's a 90% chance I'm working on your project. If not, I'm probably going for a coffee run. And then if you're wanting to work together, a link to schedule a a discovery call. And so like they had everything that they needed. And just to set that expectation helped remove a lot of pressure from me of like setting the expectation with whoever was trying to get a hold of me. And it really helped and really allowed me to like not feel guilty about not opening my inbox. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. Okay. Did you open it at all just to like peak or you haven't opened it? Oh yeah. No, no, no. I did. I did. I did. I just like, I think what, what's hard for me is that if I like am dedicated on doing client work and I'm getting emails from people that are like needing things not related to my client projects, I feel guilty for not responding to them within like 24, 48 hours. And so I just wanted to set that expectation. So like I, I have quite a few unread emails that I'm planning on getting to today and tomorrow of things not related to client projects. Um, and I will email them back. I just wanted to set that expectation with them of like, you're probably not going to get a really quick response from me. And this is why. That really makes sense and is awesome. And it's it's just a way of informing people what's going on for you because it's it's not your autoresponder that's on forever of like, this right. is my new norm. Like you may not hear back from me in two weeks, which if you do that, like awesome, love that boundary. <laughs> um, but it's often not realistic when a lot of things are time sensitive in a, in a way of, um, not always time sensitive as in the next 24 to 48 hours, but just like sometime in the next week, you know? Um, so I love that you can have these bouts of time of like, Nope, this week I'm head down. So I'm going to throw this on there. So people know they'll hear from me next week. That's such a good boundary. Yeah. It felt, it felt really good. And now I like I'm going into we're recording today's Thursday and tomorrow's Friday. And I feel really good about having inbox zero before going into the weekend. Um, and just dedicating like an hour tomorrow, probably tomorrow, maybe this afternoon to just like go through and answer all the emails and add anything to Asana that needs to like actually have a to do. Love it. That's perfect. That's great. And then my low is being behind on client projects, which just like sucks. I've realized that like having past due tasks in Asana is such a creative suck for me. Like Mm -hmm. it just like, I uh, think I like subconsciously worry about those past due tasks so much. And it's not even just like past due tasks with clients. It's like past due tasks for lots of things in my life. Yeah. Um, And then it piles up too. And it it piles piles up up. and then I, uh, I just like worry about it. And then I avoid Asana because I hate (laughs) the red dates, Um, but getting better about it. So that's my, my hamelow of the week. I love those. And I hope you get caught up soon and feel a sense of relief. And I hope Asana doesn't torture you too much. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate that. You deserve tons of those little magical unicorns going across the screen. That fly across the screen. Right back at you, girl. Right back at you. (laughs) You ready to dive in? Let's do it. Okay. This is the first time we're really talking about investing on the podcast today. Having a dedicated time to talk about investing. Yeah. Yes. We will sometimes mention it in passing (laughs) when we're talking about money stuff, but we... I think we've delayed it a little bit just because it's complicated, kind of. And it's well, there's not. just 
there's so much. And like, you know, disclaimer of this episode, we're not experts in investing. As I mentioned in the, in the beginning, we are, Hannah and I are both women, which we already know women, non-men are kind of left out of the conversation of investing. We are entrepreneurs, meaning that our income tends to be a little bit more sporadic, not as consistent, and that can make investing really hard. And then Hannah and I are single income, no kids. And so that's kind of more of like a, we get to be really selfish with our money and we don't have dependents that we're having to spend money on. So there's a few different factors that are going into this conversation. Um, It feels kind of personal. I mean, even off mic, you and I haven't really had like in-depth conversations about investing. And so, yeah, so we're just bringing a conversation today from two gals who are interested in investing, kind of invest. I'm kind of investing, you're investing yeah, and not totally sure and hundred percent confident about every single thing about investing. 100%. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so I guess we want to start with just, we don't want to be assumptive here and we don't know what you all know or don't know. So let's do just a little like 30 second spiel on investing and what our definitions of investing are or what we know about investing. You want to kick us off? Yes. So my definition of investing is using the money I have that doesn't have to be used for expenses to grow my money. So using my money to grow my money. Oh, that was beautiful. I don't even think I have anything to add to that. That that nailed it. Maybe I'll just say... um it's really important to invest. And so there can be different vehicles for that. Um, today we're going to be talking, I would say, quote unquote, mostly about investing as in stocks, bonds, all that. We're not going to get into the nitty gritty there, but that's the yeah. kind of investments we're talking about, like retirement investments. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's different ways to invest. There's property investments, there's different kinds of funds, there's real estate, there's buying other businesses. Um, there's crypto, there's so many different things. So that's what we're talking about when we say investing. And it's really important to invest because if your money is just sitting in your bank account, and that's why I like how you say using the rest of your money after expenses and things is for growing. If you leave money in your bank account and it's just chilling there and you're like, yes, I have this, I'm going to grow this. You're actually losing money because of inflation. So the dollar is not a very strong, I'm, and let me say this, this is assuming everything we're talking about is in the US. Other countries have different investment situations, different kinds of money, obviously. So we're talking about the US dollar and we're talking about US investing systems. But the US dollar is pretty, it's weak. The US dollar is pretty weak, um, especially right now with where things are at in our economy. And so if you keep money in your bank account and don't put it in an investment account, it's losing money because inflation is high. Yes. So I was, in order to prep for this episode, there is a podcast called Coffee and Coin. It's about women investing. Uh, It's really great. I have learned a lot from them. And I was listening to one of their episodes to kind of like mentally prep for this conversation. And one of the things that I heard, and then just to kind of put some, some numbers around this, um, is if you have your money in a general savings account with a standard American bank, such as Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Capital One, any of those, the 
interest rate on that, meaning the amount of money that you are gaining from keeping your money in that savings account is 0.01%. Very low. Mm. You're going to earn like a penny. To kind of step up from that is a high yield savings account. That's where all of my like not immediate money, uh, most of it, I should say, is currently at high yield savings account tend to have, they they fluctuate pretty frequently, but usually between 1% and 4%. Inflation right now, I think I haven't looked at the most recent inflation numbers. Inflation recently has been at like an 8%. It's really bad. Because the percentage of interest in a high yield savings account is lower than that 8%, even though it looks like your money might be growing in that savings account, you are actually losing money to inflation, just like you said. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm going to call them quote unquote, this is a, a term that kind of lump sums, stock bonds, retirement account, like all of that is paper assets, quote unquote, paper assets, even though they're like not actually paper anymore because everything's digital. Um, Usually those are getting a like 10 to 14% interest or 10 to 14%. I don't even know what the right terminology is. Interest rate of return, rate of return, Mm -hmm. rate of return, um, which is higher than inflation is right now. Meaning if your money is invested in stocks, bonds, things like that, because that 10 10 to 14% is higher than the inflation percentage, that means you're making money on your money. Well, and here's the thing too, that's when the market's doing really well. So when the market is not doing well, it's not always a guaranteed 10 to 14%. Sometimes you will lose money. And that's why investing is the long game. Yeah, I was gonna say 10 to 14% is the standard over a long period of time, not yes. immediately. Whereas like high interest savings or high yield savings account, like you see that one to 4% each month. Yep. You and it doesn't go down. Come through your account. Right. You don't take the money back. <laughs> right. Right. But yes, in the, in the stock market, in investment accounts, I would say 14 would be fucking great. I would right. say probably more realistic. It's like seven to 10. I hope mm-hmm. it keeps going up, but um, year after year, the hopes is that you have compounding interest in the right direction with your investment. So if you put $10,000 in an investment account, let's for easy numbers say you get a 10% return, then you have 11,000 the next yeah. year, right? And then that 11,000, you do 10% and then it compounds from there. So your money is always going to be compounding on itself. But if the stock market tanks, it's going to probably drop that's normal. And that's why, you know, eventually it'll shoot up again. You just have to be able to tolerate that. Tolerate the waiting it out. Yep. Yes. Okay. Well, that was way longer than our 30 second spiel of what is investing and why are we talking about this before we dive into like too much more of the nitty gritty. I just want to hear what your thoughts are around investing, like personally, like what your journey has been, why you personally invest. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think I was pretty fortunate in many ways. Um, my parents are pretty financially savvy. I, I grew up, I wouldn't say I grew up with quote unquote money as in a like, I grew up with money, but I definitely always had my needs met, had my college paid for all that stuff. Like money was never an issue in my household. And I feel like even though my parents didn't tell me the nitty gritty of their finances, I always had known my dad would be meeting with a financial planner like every six months. Um, and I knew about the concept of investing. You all have heard me talk about the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich on the podcast before, which again, disclaimer, 
There's a little diety stuff in the beginning. I roll, but the content's really good in the book, especially as a simplified trying to explain investing in a in an understandable and consumable way. And I had that book, the first version of that book when I was in high school. Somehow. Whoa. I know. Like 10th grade Hannah was somehow drawn to this book, maybe because it said I will teach you to be rich. And I was like, well, I want to be rich. Um, but I just think that's so wild. I was 16 and was already thinking about this stuff. And so I think part of it's having an entre- entrepreneurial mindset as well. It's a way to have passive income, right? Of if you can put the cash into assets and stocks and whatever, then, and to know you can grow money on it, like that's a no brainer. So I started investing, investing probably, well, I don't even know what investing, investing means. I started my first investment account when I got my first job out of college at age 23, my first hospital job, they had a 401k that I contributed to. I wasn't there very long. If you listen to my business story, you know, I only stayed at my first job for nine months until I moved to Denver. And then I started my own practice while working at an ice cream shop. And so to be honest at that time, I still didn't understand fully how investing worked. And so I I think I had only invested like a thousand dollars and I ended up pulling it out of that account because I was just like, oh, this isn't enough to keep in this. And then I just cashed the money and paid taxes on it and kept it. And that is a regret that I might have too, because the important thing about investing is time is on your side. So the earlier you start an account, the better. And that's not to deter anyone if you haven't started one yet. Like that's why we're having this conversation. But, you know, seven years ago, Hannah should not have done that and did it. And that's okay. So whenever I was 24, and I started having an accountant to help me with my business. The accountant was like, oh, you should meet with my financial planner. And I was like, okay, cool. And I started a, I'm not going to get into the details of the different kinds of investment accounts. We'll have an expert come on to talk about that. But I started my first investment account when I was 24 for my business. Um, and I also had a financial planner at that time who charged me a percent, which I have a lot of strong feelings about, TLDR. If you can pay an hourly rate to meet with a financial planner versus them have it taking a percent of your investments. I highly, highly recommend that even if it feels like more money up front, because how compounding works and the investments growing, that's a fuck ton of money over your lifetime to give to somebody just to maintain your accounts. I digress. So I had that account for a couple of years. And then a friend of mine recommended my current financial planners who are awesome. And I switched over to them and I switched over all my investment accounts, their fee for service, their fiduciaries, which fiduciary financial planners mean that they abide by certain standards for their investments and they don't have any conflict of interest partnerships with investing firms. And that's very important for protecting yourself and your money that somebody's not acting on your behalf and trying to get a gain from it. So switch to them. We got aggressive with my investments and opened many more different types of vehicles for investing. And that kind of brings us up to date with where I'm at with investing. I've paid a lot of people to help me understand, and I do my own reading and research, and I have a lot of different kinds of investment accounts. One of my personal goals is to be financially independent, which means I have everything that I need in my investment accounts by latest age 40. So 11 years from now, I'll be 30 this year. 
um, that will keep compounding and compounding. And I can live off of that in my retirement and no longer have to contribute if I don't want to, which means I can work a job if I want to take a year off or just like work at a coffee shop or something and just make enough money to live on for the now and not worry about my financial future. Cause that's already taken care of. That's kind of what my, my goal is. And you've heard me talk about money on the podcast before of it brings me security to have pieces in place where I know I'm going to be okay. And that's why like, I like to have a pretty big nest egg in the business and I like to have savings and all of those things. And then I also like to be throwing money in my investment accounts, knowing that that's going to grow the money and take care of future me. And I do that a little bit more aggressively than other people. (laughs) So that is kind of the, the long, broad version of my journey and why I'm investing and what that looks like for me as far as retirement investment accounts. I'm basically trying to throw as much money as I can into those accounts after I've paid for my living expenses, still have a little bit of money for fun. And that's me. What a beautiful summary of your journey. Was it? Okay. I felt like I was blabbering. No, that was, I, that was amazing. I followed along and I feel like I even learned from that too. Amazing. Um, What'd you learn? Well, and it like, well, so I, I would say learn slash reflecting on some decisions that I've made. Um, I feel like kind of like you in the beginning, like I've also kind of like jumped at opportunities to like try to learn. And then I'm, I'm a kind of, I'm a naive person when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like if someone's like, Hey, I know a lot about this and shares that information with me, I'm going to assume that they know what they're talking about. Like I give a lot of people the benefit of the doubt. I wouldn't say I'm naive. I have a good head on my shoulders, but I give people the benefit of the doubt. And so I'll kind of dive into this with, with my journey too. Um, but I do have a question for you. Do you know your investing rate? So like what percentage of your money gets invested right now? Ooh, that's a good question. If you don't, that's fine. They were just talking about it on the podcast I listened yeah. to earlier. And yeah. I so what I think you're asking is if I looked at my total income that I have, mm-hmm. what percent of my total income do I invest? Mm-hmm. I would say right now, at least 60%. Holy shit. Yeah. And aggressive. <laughs> aggressive. And I'm a high earner. So True. I can you know, because I do a lot of consulting because the group practice supports me, Mm -hmm. I kind of look at it as like, I can live on one of those and invest the rest of the other. Totally. So that's kind of how, why mine is so high. If I was making $50,000 a year, it wouldn't be that high. Tell us your story. Yeah. So uh, very similar to your upbringing as well. I was never really involved in money conversations with my parents. I just, there was always enough to meet our needs and, and live the life that my parents wanted for us, which included going on vacations every year. Um, nothing was ever like, nothing ever felt extravagant. It's funny. I was scrolling through TikTok earlier and I saw a post and it was like, how to, how to know your friend's parents had a lot of money. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm curious if I can relate to any of this, not because I think my parents have a lot of money, but it was definitely like middle upper class. And I was scrolling through and like none of them related. And I was like, okay, so that's like being able to, um, I'm trying to, hold on, let me see if I can find it. Cause there I were know, just I'm some, like, I'm curious what it says. There were some on there that I was like, wait, what? <laughs> hold on. Also 
it's what it, okay. TikTok is such a weird, trippy space because it's like sometimes you can learn things so helpful. And then I'm like, how does this bring value to anybody's life? Except for, I guess it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> right. Exactly. So this is from, do you follow Overheard LA? No. Oh my God. It's hilarious. It's it, people basically submit things that they overhear of other people's conversations in Los Angeles. And it's comical. Um, I also, once I started swiping through this, I realized that like it was meant to be comedy, but it says signs your friend might have rich parents. <laughs> Mom has a nonprofit for a non-issue. Family friends with Martha Stewart and Kathy, Kathy Lee Gifford. Your mom wants to donate her Chanel bag to an orphanage. Oh God. Just like stuff like that. And I was like, okay, like that's way far I've off. I've never had a Chanel bag in my life. So, yeah. <laughs> and neither has my mother. Um, and so just, it was, yeah. That's anyway, so interesting. All that to say, had a very comfortable upbringing and didn't have conversations about money. Like I didn't know anything about my parents' finances until I was filling out college applications and you have to like mark the box of how much your parents made. And that was like kind of the first time that I had any sort of concept of salary basically. Um, other than the game of life, which you we were talking about yesterday <laughs> where everyone wanted the hundred thousand uh, dollar, always salary. looking for that hundred thousand dollar salary card. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so, I mean, but same, like my college was paid for, I was supported through college by my parents, which I am immensely grateful for all of the money that I made in college, like working my, my minimum wage job just got put into a savings account. I wish hindsight Morgan would have put it into a high yield savings account, but I didn't. At least you saved some of your money. I feel like I was blowing all of mine on stupid shit, like drinking and clothes and tanning. Yeah. Nope. It all went straight into the savings account. So uh, that was college kind of fast forwarding as I was finishing on my dietetic internship. One of my friends was like, Hey, my uh, cousin just started a job at Northwestern mutual and they're having to like, you know, if you, if you're interested in learning from a financial advisor, I'd love to connect you with her. And so I got connected with her. She had a supervisor at the time. This has been, this is one of those situations where like, I don't know if that was, if that is the right decision for me. I, I have my life insurance and I have my disability, like in case anything happens to me, like I, if I get injured or ill or and can't work, I have something to take care of me. And it was short-term one of the disability, things, probably short-term disability. Yes. Yeah. And I, again, am trusting people that like, okay, they do this for a living. Therefore they probably know what they're talking about. I pay monthly to them, to Northwestern mutual. And I question myself frequently if that was the right mm-hmm. decision to make, just because I feel like I went into it with not all of the information I needed, but I also like, there's just certain things that like, I want to trust other people that know better than me. And so, Oh, I feel like I feel that with insurance, like car insurance, um, a new thing was learning how to get insurance on our RV. Mm -hmm. Um, I I feel the same way. I'm like, I trust you, even though I'm scared if something were to happen, like, was this the right call to trust you? Like, right. Yeah. And so, and I, so I still question myself with that. Um, I don't currently have any money invested with Northwestern Mutual. So hearing you talk about, cause I think their advisors probably take a percentage. 100%. It's and normal. So, it's normal. So, big corporations do that. 
Right. And so I'm kind of at this like limbo where like, okay, do I just like keep my life insurance and short-term disability with them and then find another person to pay a fee for service? I don't know. Still figuring that out. I have no clue. Um, that's part of this conversation is like, I, I truly don't know. I will say this though. The advisor I got connected with is a woman and I don't, there's not a lot of women financial advisors, just going to name that. And so even just having a women financial advisor, I feel more comfortable with her. I have told her that I'm nervous to invest because of X, Y, Z. And that conversation felt so much easier with her than it did with the guy that was like overseeing her when I first started. He was great. He was kind. I enjoyed talking to him, whatever, but there's just something different about working with a female financial advisor. Well, one thing that's really important and is a piece of history, um, women and, you know, people weren't even having conversations about trans folks or non-binary folks in the seventies, even though they, they very there. much existed, of course, yeah. but women couldn't even have their own bank accounts until the 1970s. And so why, of course, there's less women working in financials and let alone like women of color and right. people who are non-white, like, right. So it's, yeah, there isn't a lot of, I mean, it's growing and right. that's really exciting and important because let's be honest, women and people who don't identify as men, um, are better at a lot of things than men. So yeah, that's the thing is like the women confident. who women and non-men who invest in stock market apparently have greater success than men have ever had. So yep. <laughs> totally makes um, sense. Yeah. And so that's kind of like where I'm at with investing. I, I opened my high yield savings account with ally in 2016 and pretty much all of my savings have been, has been sitting there since I opened it, I moved it all out of my, I used Chase for my bank. I moved it all out of Chase in there. And I, I kind of did like a little hair flip moment and be like, ah, I'm so great. Like this was <laughs> such a great decision market. And now, now like realizing that it's like so much lower than the inflation rate. And I was like, why did you let all that money sit in there for the last seven you can't years? Think, you can't think like that. You only know what you know. I know you only know what you know. I know now. Um, And there's definitely like, I have a whole little bucket in there. That's like saving for a future house. And I like, I work for myself. No, one's going to approve me for a loan with the amount that I paid myself the last two years for at least a couple more years. So like, why is that still sitting in my high yield savings account? I don't know. In terms of like actually investing. So we're talking 401k index funds, meaning like just a diverse portfolio of stocks and bonds. What I mean by index funds, I did not contribute to my 401k when I worked at a treatment center because they would only, the match rate was really low. And then in order to get a hundred percent of that, if you ever left, you had to stay with the company for five years. And like, I had a hunch I wasn't going to be there for five years. Yep. That's called vesting. So whenever a company offers a 401k with a match and they say it's vested, that means you can't access it until you hit a certain time frame. So right. usually it's five years, which yeah. I feel very strongly about. I think it's super manipulative of yeah. companies to do that. My team at one year gets a 401k with a company match and it's not vested. So that's just their money. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And so I brought that to my financial advisor at the time back in 2018. And he was like, I'm going to advise you to not, if you don't think, first of all, match sucks. So I wouldn't do that anyway. Second of all, if you don't think you're going to be there for five years, like don't invest or don't put any money towards your 401k. 
I also have not started saving for retirement yet, which is a little scary. I can't think about it too much. My financial advisor is obviously aware of it. And um, I have some debt that I want to pay off first before I like start aggressively putting t- money towards that. Um, and just kind of with like everything that I've got going on, it's it's a conversation that we're revisiting this summer to to start doing that. Um, it feels really scary whenever I hear people younger than me talk about their retirement accounts. I get a lot of anxiety because I was like, oh my God, Morgan, you're behind, you're behind, you haven't done this yet, whatever. But like you said, can't think about it too much. I'm aware of it. I have a game plan. Um, let's see what else, what else, what else? Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, what stops you from opening account and just putting $10 in it a month? Ah, I'm so glad you asked. I did that in August. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> oh, so wait, not are... a retirement account, an index fund. Okay. That still yes. counts towards your retirement. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, uh, I, that was the mindset I was in last August. So that would have been what, like nine months ago. And I was like, Morgan, something is better than nothing. Open up a freaking account and just put money into it. And at the time I was very, very cognizant of, of not wanting to contribute money to a company. I kind of talked about this before, not wanting to contribute money to a company or a portfolio that was doing harm in the world. And then I realized like, I can't really have a say in that in the society, capitalistic society we live in, which fucking sucks. And it feels so conflicting. My compromise at the time was a company called Elvest, E-L-L-E-V-E-S-T. And it is also geared towards women investment. Um, and I started putting money. I paid off my, this is what happened. I paid off my car in August. And so I just started taking that money and doing an automatic transfer over to that. And so it's there. Okay. Then you're not giving yourself enough credit because that is a retirement account. Okay, it's investment. So you can use that investment. for your retirement. Right. It's just not like 401k IRA that is like labeled just for retirement. Mm. Right. Cause like 401k, I think IRA too, you can't access until you're over 65. You can, there's just a big 65. penalty. I'd say there's a penalty for your index fund as well. If you were to withdraw, like you have to pay taxes. That's true. Okay. So that's true. That's potatoes, true. potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. I just wanted you to give yourself some credit because I knew you <laughs> had you. started that. I know you're right. I did. I did. I did. I think that about sums up my journey and ramblings of investing. Can I comment on some advice that you were given and just speak a little bit about my perspective on it? Yeah. Okay. So, and I'm saying this, well, one, again, we are not financial planners. We're not advisors. We only know what we know from our own experiences and our own learnings, and we're still in process. But if you are someone who has access to a 401k, even if the match is vested, I still highly recommend contributing to that because you will still get the money in your 401k that you put in. Mm -hmm. And again, you're putting it into an account where it will compound at a rate that is hopefully higher than inflation eventually. And it's a way to put money out of sight, out of mind for future you. So even if the match is is vested and you don't think you're going to stay, do it anyway. Mine wasn't matched hundred percent, by the way. It, it's okay if it's not okay. matched because okay. the money that you put in is still yours. It's just, yeah. you may not get the matched portion. Oh, that makes so, sense. So like if you put a hundred dollars a month in and the company- 
was, was matching that or not, you still get that hundred dollars into your account. That makes more sense. Yeah. Cause it was like a 25% match. And then if no fucking way, no way, maybe not, maybe the terminology is wrong. I can go back and pull it up. And then (laughs) if it's a 25% match, I would stay somewhere for five years to get that. (laughs) No, 2.5%, 2.5%. That probably makes more sense. That makes more sense. Sorry. 2.5%. Um, and then we're all learning. If I would have, so I was only there for three years, so I would have only gotten 60% of that back, but you're saying I would have gotten a hundred percent of the money that I put in, but only 60% of what they also put in. Okay. That makes sense. Well, yes. I, I, (laughs) I, I told you I invested in, and then I pulled the money out of my job. So what the fuck? Man, I know. You just learn as you go. These are times that I'm so thankful for my naturally optimistic spirit <laughs> and like glass half full look on the bright side type situations, because I think th- learning this stuff can be um, really hard when you're older and you're like, why did no one teach this to me when I yeah. was younger? Yeah, it it is so hard. It's so frustrating. Um, I also think it's not one size fits all. Like we can talk Mm -hmm. about what we do all day and what we've learned, but that's still never going to work for someone else. Yeah. Maybe. And so that's why we are sharing all this just to get the conversation started on the podcast. And also Mm -hmm. hoping that if you aren't investing to kind of get those wheels turning, and I want to challenge you to open some kind of account within the next few months, if you're not currently investing, um, Places to open accounts, Fidel, uh, Elvest, where I go, if you want to look into that, Fidelity, Vanguard. Mm -hmm. Um, Talking to a financial advisor and having them do it. I have mine through um, TD Trade Mm -hmm. and Vanguard. I also, I have a a lot. I also have a crypto account, which that's a whole nother conversation for another day. I haven't invested in it a long time. I just threw some money in it a few years ago to be like, no, I wonder what will happen with this. Um, so I definitely don't recommend that as a first line of (laughs) investments. Um, that was more of like a, I've maxed out my other investments and I'm just playing with some money, which brings me to, can I add one quick thing to my journey real quick? Oh yes. Because you had mentioned your reason, your why behind investing is wanting to have financial independence and security and security and being work optional. Yes love that. I feel like I have not put a ton of goals like specifically towards investing right now. My investing journey is just kind of like, because I've been told I should, and it makes sense the numbers, right? Like with the potential return on investment, like it makes sense to do something like that. The two things that I am aware of that is haven't set like specific goals for. And I think I would definitely want like a financial planner to crunch these numbers with is definitely being work optional, uh, financially independent. I don't really, I don't have like a, a specific time for that, but ideally before I'm 65, because I don't really want to work until I'm 65. The other thing that I've become more and more aware of is like, is generational wealth mm. and how I, cause it's like one of those things where like, I haven't had that conversation with my family. I don't know if there's any thing there probably should probably be a good conversation to have with them. Um, but if there isn't, what can I do to be the generation cycle breaker and start building generational wealth for my future family? Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. I like that you brought that up of just like, what else are you working for in the future outside of, it's like a legacy, right? What is your legacy? Yeah. Yeah. I like that word. Okay. Okay. The last point that I really wanted to make today is just talking about the order of things. So I know one of the biggest things you and I are always talking about, and I think a lot of people with different financial situations are talking about is like, what do you do if you have debt? If you have like high bills and cost of living and you need to build savings and also you want to invest. So there's like all these different pieces. It's like, what order do you do the things in? And so do you have any thoughts about that? Well, if you would have asked me a couple of months ago, I'd have been like, I don't know. Um, I have now realized that you shouldn't wait to fully pay off your debt before you start investing. Preach, say it again. (laughs) You've told it to me. And then I have, I've heard it a couple of times on some podcasts, but you should fill up your emergency fund first before you start investing, even if you have debt. You nailed it. I totally agree. You agree with Uh, that? I do. Well, and I think uh, this is a whole other conversation about emergency funds, which we do have a podcast episode on nest eggs, which is similar. Um, It's like a nest egg for your personal life. And so I would even say maybe you don't have to have your emergency fund fully filled because that's going to look different for people. Um, But to have some kind of strategy where you're contributing a certain amount of money per month to each bucket, knowing like, okay, I will have at least half of my emergency fund funded in six months. And so I know that this is my track. And so I can start investing $50 a month too, because I have a plan for building this emergency fund. Um, So it's not so like do this and then that even in this situation, but I totally agree. If you don't have any cash on you for something you can't anticipate happening, that's definitely the priority to have something fluid in your bank accounts. Mm -hmm. And then from there, even if you have a bunch of student loans, even if you have a mortgage, even if you have a situation where you have debt, please, 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 please still invest. That's so important. Yeah. And this was something that I, um, bringing all this knowledge on podcast episodes that I listened to within the last week to prep for this episode. (laughs) So we'll just keep sharing that knowledge. Thank you. Factora wealth. Shout out to Factora wealth. Your coffee and coins podcast is life-changing. Um, the reason you should fill up your emergency fund first is because if you are hit with an emergency where you have to buy a new set of tires, where you have to repair something in your house, where you have to, you know, do something unexpected in emergency, mm-hmm. it's going to be like the purpose of that emergency fund is to be able to pay it off immediately. So you don't have to add that to a credit card because the interest rates that you're going to accrue on a credit card are going to be higher than what you would be investing, meaning you're losing money. Whereas with something like student loans, mortgage, some more of those debts that are a little bit more, like I would say maybe a little bit more long-term, they have lower interest rates on them to where you're at least that like might usually match like the rate on return or rate of return on investment with your investments to where like, you're not going to be losing as much money with those debts than you would be with something with a higher interest rate, like credit card debt. 100%. Yeah. The credit card debt rates are fucking insane. I've seen like 16 to 24%. Most of them are 18 to 21. I think I know it's wild, wild. Yeah. 
I have a couple random things to throw out that have no rhyme or reason. Let's hear it. Okay. So I am caught in this limbo and just kind of now learning about high yield savings account versus investing. And it is, it feels really scary for me to see, to think about my money and my high yield savings accounts, not being able to visibly see that number. Mm. I've reflected on this some, and I think part of the idea of investing and taking some of that money in my high yield savings account and just putting it into an investment account feels scary because it, it, it feels a little restrictive in that it removes some spontaneity from my life. Because as soon as that's mm. going into an investment account, that's staying there for a while. And so it, it, it feels like it's removing this like idea of like fun and spontaneity and being able to just like pull that money and buy a plane ticket. And I know that's not logical. Like I've literally had a couple thousand dollars sitting in there for a house for probably a year and a half now, two years now. Like that's not going towards a plane ticket that is dedicated to a house. So like, why is it still sitting in my high yield savings account? So that's a whole other thing that I'm dealing with just to be full transparency. What I have landed on is the money that should be staying in my high yield savings account is my emergency fund and money to fund near term goals, meaning goals that I have for myself within the next three years where I would not be pulling money out of an investment account. I also feel challenged by this because in order to know what my near-term goals are, I actually have to sit down and map out goals for my personal life, not just my business. I'm really good at doing it for my business. It's a lot harder for me to do for my personal life. So like thinking of things like, am I going to get a car in the next three years? Probably not. But then what if something happens to my car? And like, I get into these like, what if situations. And so I want to be able to just keep money in my high yield savings account for emergency fund near-term goals. I also keep money for taxes in there too, because like might as well make some money on the money that's going to be paid for taxes. And I, I am now at the point where it's like, okay, like I need to meet with a financial planner. One that is a fee for service and not percent based and figure out a game plan of what to do with that money that I know I'm not going to be using in the next three years. Beautiful. Do you have any ideas of what you would want money for in the next three years? Like for you personally? There are no other than like travel. There are no, yeah, there's no big things that I want. Like I, my car is doing great. I'm not foreseeing myself needing a new car in the next three years. I am not planning on buying a house in the next three years. What are some other big expenses? I think that's kind of the two main ones that I can think of. Um, yeah, Yeah. mainly just travel. And like most of my travel is funded by the money I'm making. Like I'm not needing that to like, I'm not needing to get the return in my high yield savings account just to travel. Yeah. It's nice that it's there. So I can like, you know, make a couple extra bucks to put towards a travel fund as it like sits there waiting for me to purchase my next trip. But yeah, for the most part, that's it. Yeah. I I wanted you to talk through that because I think we, it, it, when we plan our financial futures and what we need in short-term and long-term, you do have these revelations of like, 
oh yeah, I've been traveling and I've been able to support that. And also my businesses support that in a lot of ways. And so I've been having this money sit here for this and that's good. And I will keep, maybe I will continue to fund something to support fun travel, but I can also take this money and put it away and I don't need it. And I know abundance and working hard, like I'm going to keep bringing in more. Yes. Yep. Having that abundance mindset. Two other, three other quick things. Two of them are just statements that I found profound. (laughs) Social security is running out, not to be like alarmist, but I think like speaking of you and I who are 29 and 30, our parents' generation is probably going to be the last generation. No, the generation between us, Gen X. I think our parents are Gen X perhaps. I don't know. What's the year for boomers? I'll look it up. Yeah. Anyway. Um, basically if you are Gen Zers like me and Hannah, we're not Gen Zers, we're millennials. What am I saying? <laughs> if, you, if you're millennials like me and Hannah, there's a really huge question mark, whether or not we're going to be benefiting from social security. It's something that we contribute to with our taxes every year. And it might be something that we don't get access to. And so just another thing to think about as you think of retirement accounts and investing money is that like, we're going to have to think about that too. The second random little tidbit is I feel like the word interest is really confusing because interest on credit cards is bad, but interest on investments is good. So I feel like you hear this word like, oh, it's collecting interest, but like on a credit card, collecting interest, making interest payments is more negative, whereas compounding interest on investments is a good thing. So just wanted to like throw that out there. I was like, it might kind of be like a, well, dumb Morgan situation, but I was just thinking about that in like my lack of financial literacy. I was like, that could be really confusing. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out because it really does depend on context and it Mm -hmm. works the same way, just in different directions of if you take out a loan, whether it's a mortgage or you know, a car loan or a credit card, like credit card is loaning you money then you are building interest on that, which means that your payment is going to be more than you originally paid or that the credit card originally paid for you. And that's how they make their money. Right. Um, But then when you're investing, the same thing happens is you put money into the account and interest is going to have that compound. So it's good in that context. And I don't even want to say good or bad, but it, it makes sense of like, fuck, we want low interest whenever we take out a loan, but we want high interest whenever we're investing. Investing. Yeah. The last thing that I want to say is another type of investing that I don't think is as lucrative as, I mean, maybe it could be as lucrative as like paper assets, stocks, bonds, et cetera, or like property that Factor talks about is business. And I think this is, I want to bring this in, especially as entrepreneurs, specifically related to more passive income streams, because that's what investing is, right? It's using your money to build something or to put it into something. And that's going to make you money without you having to do a lot of extra work and passive income streams for the business is a way of investing for that. The way that I'm viewing it is if I'm able to meet my needs based off of my one-on-one design work, contract work, coaching, whatever, things like that, and I'm making money from passive income streams, I am then able to take all of that money from my passive income streams. And just that immediately goes to investing. 
or like whatever I pay myself from that can go immediately into investing. And so just have like, it's like getting paid from my passive income streams and then reinvesting that into investments. Love that. I feel like we could do a whole podcast episode on business investing or like yeah, that. So we will put a little asterisk of, let's circle back to that. Yes. Okay. So we want- those are my like random, random takeaways and, and things to share. So love it. This is a, just our candid conversation today about investing and just wanting to start the conversation with you all. If you take away nothing else, please start investing. If you're not already this year, we would love to see it. Tell us your wins. Tell us your questions. Um, a few resources that we would have you check out. A few from me is her first 100 K. Um, Tori Dunlap is awesome. She's got a podcast. She has a free Facebook group. She has a book that just came out who it's all about speaking to women, non-binary folks, people who aren't men who have been left out of the conversation of finances. Um, she breaks things down very beautifully. And she also has a lot of courses and workshops and things that are really low cost or free. So definitely check out her work. Um, I'm a big fan of, I will teach you to be rich. The content not necessarily how the content is delivered with the diacultury stuff in the beginning, but definitely a good inexpensive book to check out. Also, Ramit Sethi has a podcast that you could check out where he interviews couples about their money, which I think is interesting. And then on my end, I know I've mentioned both of these already during this episode, but Factora Wealth uh, is a startup in Austin that is on a mission to bring 1 million women to $1 million of net worth each. They have a podcast called Coffee and Coin. It's really great. They have a lot of free, they offer a lot of free webinars as well. They have something called the Factorial Wealth Circle, which is paid, but honestly, like their free content is chef's kiss. Elvest is a great place to start learning, following them on Instagram. That's where I started my investment account because it just, something just felt really good for me to have um, a company full of women being in charge of my money and making financial decisions for me with what that money does. And then another book that's more so on like the business side of things, but there's some personal stuff in there too, is We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you are loving what you hear, can you take one minute, pause, open up your iTunes Apple app and leave us a rating or review? Share with the business bestie to help us reach more weight-inclusive business owners who could use support and pep talks. See you next week. Bye.